Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. In Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to Abram, whose name is eventually going to get changed to Abraham, and he is a major player in the Bible. Throughout the Old and New Testament, he is mentioned almost 300 times. Here we are, only a few chapters into the Bible, as we're building a foundation for the story of the Bible. But we're in our fifth week of a nine-week series where we're trying to look at the whole Bible, and we're still in Genesis. <laughs> Obviously, we're not looking at all 66 books. And we're going to quickly accelerate over the next few weeks to hit the major themes throughout the Scripture. The overall theme is this. The Bible is the story of God's love to us in Jesus Christ, which is the story of God's goodness and greatness at work in the world. Let me catch you up. We began this story, we began this series with one verse from Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. That one verse declares how we best discover God's love story for us, God coming to us in Jesus Christ. You see, it's through His Word. It's the Bible. That's why this series. So we can go deeper in our relationship with Him and better understand life, truth, joy, fellowship, forgiveness, life eternal, that the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is central to the theme of the Bible. Week two, we were in the Gospel of Mark for Jesus' parable on the four types of soil. The hard soil that represents those who are indifferent. You see, these four types are a metaphor for how we receive God's Word. Well, hard soil is indifferent. It's like, I don't even care. The rocky ground represents those who are shallow. The moment that trouble comes, God's promises no longer remain. The thorny ground marks those who care, but other cares take precedence. And finally, there are those who cultivate a desire to put God's Word into action, and their lives yield abundantly. In week three, we finally went to the beginning. Genesis chapter one, where God already was. And his greatness appeared as he created everything by simply speaking it into existence. And his goodness appeared as he filled everything full. Don't you know that a God of that kind of power and that kind of love and detail cares about your life and has plans for you? And then last week in Genesis chapter 3, the fall as it's referred to, where Adam and Eve gave in to temptation and sin entered the world. And because of that, all the pain and injustice and illness and suffering and death has entered the world. We are inheritors of that sin nature. Have you ever felt pain? loss? Ever struggled? Yeah. It's because we live with the knowledge of both good and evil. 
We also discovered last week one of the first principles of God's character described in the Bible. It's this, God comes to us looking for us, not because He doesn't know where we are, but because we're lost. We've lost our way, even as Adam and Eve blew it, and God knew that they blew it. God comes to find them and engage them in dialogue. Now, there is punishment leveled against humanity for the first time. The world is no longer without sin. But in an easily glossed over verse 21, in this third chapter, God sets an important precedent. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What that means is some living thing had to be sacrificed in order to get the skin. Some living thing had to be sacrificed to cover for their sin. And from that point on, God would be building the expectation for His ultimate rescue in Jesus Christ. The ultimate sacrifice as a covering for our sin. Well, then between Genesis chapters 3 and 11, the world continues to fall and get worse and worse. It's a mess. Adam and Eve introduced what seemed like a pretty minor sin on one level. They ate of a fruit they weren't supposed to. But it's a big sin in terms of they were trying to be like God. Well, what about the next generation? How did their kids fare? Cain murders Abel. By midway into the early chapters of Genesis, the whole world goes bad. You finally get to Noah and the flood. Through chapter 11, it's a royal mess. So here's the question of the day. Have you ever had a mess that you stepped into or you created yourself that was so big it was almost overwhelming? A few years ago, I was playing handyman at the house. I should never do this. Before our roof got reshingled, a leak had caused the ceiling to separate over one of our bathtubs. And it's that popcorn ceiling attached to sheetrock kind of thing, white popcorn ceiling. I go to Lowe's, and what do I find? White popcorn ceiling repair in a can. I mean, all you got to do is spray it, and it'll look just as new, right? How easy is this going to be? Look, just a couple of passes of the spray. So I don't even prep the area for splatters. The direction said, make a plastic tent around the affected area. Pfft. No. <laughs> Just a few squirts. I'm done. 30 seconds later, I had popcorn ceiling all over the bathtub, the commode, the sink, all four walls, the towels, everything that was in that bathroom. I just wanted to turn around, grab the family, lock the front door, and put a for sale sign in the front yard. That's what we did. 30 seconds of spraying took nearly two hours to clean up. Some messes are just so big, 
what do you do when the mess is so big and the challenge so large? Messing up a bathroom, that pales in comparison to when your life is a mess, when there's so much going on and it seems beyond your control. In our story today, one of the things to hone in on is what God does when the world is a wreck. What does God do with complete messes? And what He does is going to give us insight into God's character and, into, and insight into what we can do. Here's one last thing to keep in mind before we go to the Bible reading. One of the primary things the Bible seeks to answer is this question, what's God like? You see, each story is a snapshot of His character. He wants you to know what He's like. He wants you to know that He loves you. He wants you to see Him with greater clarity every time you read the Bible. And here's the big idea. Knowing what God is like will have an impact in even the most difficult of times. Knowing about His kindness and goodness, knowing about His love for you will affect how you come to Him and understand Him and how you open your life to Him even though it's dark and difficult. And we're going to discover in Genesis 12 that when God has a mess clean up, He doesn't always respond the way we think He should. When I have a major crisis, more than just a few feet of ceiling spray raining down on me, when I have a crisis bigger than I can handle on my own, I know what I want, an immediate fix. But that's not necessarily how God operates. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, at this point in the story, we don't know much about Abram uh, other than his genealogy. We're going to learn in just a moment that he is from the town of Haran, which is in modern-day Iraq, and he's 75 years old. The Lord says to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says to Abram, I want you to follow me to the place where I'm going to show you and I'm going to make of you a great nation. So what does God do when the world is a mess? How is God going to get the attention of the world? Here it is. I'm going to make a great nation. Doesn't sound like it's making much sense at this point. What God is saying is, I want to raise up a nation that other people will watch and say, wow, there is something special going on. In other words, people will see me at work in their nation. They will see my patience. They will see my love. They will see my power at work. And they will begin to wonder, what's different about that nation? They must have a strong, powerful, good, kind God behind them. And then I'll be able to turn them from their mess towards me. Sounds like a master plan, but it also sounds like something that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of work, doesn't it? It's not a magic show where God's just going to snap His fingers and everything's changed in a second. 
Instead, with this big mess, God says, Abram, I'm going to start with you. When the mess is so large and it seems like your life is in chaos, God does in your life what this story illustrates, and he wants you to start with one area of concern. Look, whenever God wants to connect with his world, he mostly comes to individuals. Abram here, later Moses. Ultimately, it's Jesus Christ who has a desire to come into all of us. And then it's personal. It's one-on-one encounters. Yes, Jesus teaches the masses. But real life change happened to the Samaritan woman at the well. The man born blind. The woman caught in adultery. Zacchaeus up in a tree. It's about leaving the 99 and going after the one. And it's that same principle we're talking about here in terms of messes. If 100% of your life is a mess... Leave the other 99 aside for right now and work on the one. Otherwise, it's overwhelming and you feel stuck and paralyzed. You don't know which way to turn and if you can even take a next step. Pick one thing. Prioritize. What's the most important? See, that's what God does. The whole world is a mess. Everything has fallen apart. There's murder. There's turning their backs on God. And what does God do? He says, I'm going to raise up a nation. That's my plan. But I'm going to start with one person. And then verse 4 tells us, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This verse is telling us Abram did what the Lord told him to do. And notice, God didn't start with the most popular person alive, He didn't start with the most well-known. It wasn't a king. It wasn't even a community. I mean, that would have at least given him a head start toward a nation. God begins with one person. God's great nation begins with one person. The implication is when you are faced with a challenge, start somewhere and realize it won't be accomplished overnight. But if you follow God, He'll direct your steps. One of the passages, we're going to look at it briefly. We're going to skip over to chapter 15. Here we're going to discover one of the most fundamental truths of the Bible. It doesn't get much more basic than this. Almost everything about the Bible hinges right here. Although we're about to read from Genesis no less than a half dozen times in the New Testament, those writers look back at this story as if this is where it all begins. Genesis chapter 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continues, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So the Lord took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And the Lord said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
Remember back in Genesis 12, we just read, God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, Abram, and through you, the entire world will be blessed. And now Abram says, yeah, that's great, God. Major problem. I don't have any children. Sarah and I are old. It's not going to happen. Maybe Abraham's being realistic. Maybe he loses sight of the promise. Maybe he loses faith in the promise. The Lord says, go count the stars, and something must have clicked in Abram. And this next verse, verse 6, is really important. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's the story part that the New Testament writers pick up. It has to do with how Abram believed. Believed God. Walked out in faith. Put his trust in God. Abram didn't believe a set of rules. He believed the promise. So what does Abram do to close the gap between himself and God? Does he follow a set of rules? No. Is he born in the right home? No. Does he have the right heritage, the right theological insight? No, he was from a pagan family. None of that is able to close the gap in our connection with God. God makes the first move. He chose Abram from among a pagan family in a pagan, in a pagan region, and God invites Abram to open up his life. And for Abram's part, he put his trust in God. That's what enables the gap to close between us and the Lord. You see, the Lord is trying to show you something about his character here, and it's this. You don't have to earn God's love. You don't have to try to be perfect. In fact, you can't. You can't do either. Instead, he wants your trust. What do you do when there's a mess so big? God says, will you trust me? Will you let me work in your life? I can change you, and by you, all of those around you will be blessed. Will you trust me? Why should I trust? Because God's plan for me is far better than my own. Every one of us has a sin mess that is bigger than any one of us can handle. I have no ability to close that gap with God on my own. So again, God makes the first move. The plan from the beginning of time was that the Lord would step off His throne and enter into human history as Emmanuel, God with us, taking on flesh and blood, experiencing everything that we do in this life, living just like us with one exception. He never sinned. And that makes the Lord Jesus the perfect sacrifice For our sin mess. And it's his body on the cross that closes the gap between us and heaven. I need him. I need a savior. Here we are in Genesis and the rest of the Bible is showing us how, how God is working that out. What is it for you? What area of your life is such a mess that it's almost overwhelming and it's hard to engage at all. Start with trusting God. 
And then what is it that you and God can do together? You see, he doesn't, God, the Lord doesn't leave Abram to work all of this out on his own. He wants you to partner with him too. Where's the chaos in your life? Trust in God to lead your life better than you can and don't give up because God certainly hasn't given up on you. As the praise team comes and we're about to close out worship, the praise team is going to do a song and then there's going to be this powerful anthem combined with a choir at the end. God's charge to us is that we will step into trusting. Know how powerful, how good, how kind, how, how much He wants to fill your life. That when you step into what He has for you, that's not fragile ground. It's not going to be as God is pulling the rug out from under you. God's faithfulness can always be counted on. His promises will never fail. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.